Yeah, she said, if I'd been the leader of the suffragettes, I would have waited and fought for everyone's right to vote. They fucked up, and you wonder why black women think white feminists are frauds. I mean, she's not wrong. Oh, is that my theme music? doing the swap cast thing. This is Phoenix Kalita. Thank you for hanging out with me. We have a guest today. Uh, Kate, I will let you introduce yourself how you like. I know who you are and what you do, but I don't know how much you want to tell the audience about who you are and what you do. So I will give that to you. Um, sure. Hi, I'm Kate Adamo. Um I am lucky enough to do uh, sex worker rights work in policy, especially on the federal level, but I actually came up as an organizer um, in Swap NYC, God, like 10 years ago. Um, more than that, shit. Um, so yeah, I, I was an organizer with Swap for a long time, and so love y'all, have a special place in my heart forever. Thank you, and thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I gotta say, like, I just wanna be you when I grow up. I wanna learn how to do policy shit. <laughs> I'm really bad at it, but I wanna learn how to do it. <laughs> so. I wanna learn how to do policy shit. <laughs> You're good at it. No, you're really good at it. So we really do appreciate the work that you do. But um, since policy is your area of expertise, uh, we wanted to have you on a swap cast to talk about the Earn It Act. Um, a lot of folks don't really know what it is. Um, a lot of uh, the language around it is uh, calling it like a FOSTA 2.0. Anyone who's been listening to the program or is involved with sex worker rights activism knows about SESTA FOSTA, but a lot of people just don't know about the Earn It Act. So can you give us kind of um, like an overview of what that is? Yeah, and so I think uh, FOSTA 2.0 is a pretty good way to talk about it. Um, what Earn It does is it takes the same tactic as uh, FOSTA-SESTA um, and just kind of expands it. So under FOSTA-SESTA, what they did was said was say, you know, if we want to fight um, trafficking in the sex trade, what we need to do is expand liability for websites, mm -hmm. um, which like if you just sit down and think about that, you're like, that's kind of bonkers. Um, yeah. That's not why trafficking happens. That's not an effective way to deal with trafficking. And but that's what they decided to do. Mm -hmm. What Earn It does is it takes the exact same tactic but applies it to a different law. Um, it applies it to laws around child pornography. And, it, and so it, it does this in two ways. So first off, it does the same kind of thing where they carve out, um, they expand liability for websites in specifically around uh, these laws. And it's really important to note that A, um, websites are, who engage in like knowingly distributing child pornography are not, uh, they don't have, uh, they are still liable you can still go in and see them you can still go in and charge those actors um this just makes that liability broader the other thing to know is that a lot of this comes down to uh, section 230 of the communications and decency act that is uh, a really important part of internet law which says that if you're um just an internet platform you're not legally liable for what your users do on that platform mm -hmm. so if someone is you know selling drugs on craigslist Craigslist isn't liable because someone used the platform to do that. Right. And so this is saying like, oh, Section 230 is preventing us from going after websites that are knowingly engaged in criminal activity. That's not true. Mm -hmm. um, so what this does is just kind of really hugely expand um, liability for websites where there might be something to do with child pornography on that site. But it's not just child pornography. Yeah. It's also everything leading up to um or that they think is leading up to child pornography. So like, um, so uh, what they talk about in there is things like, uh, you know, uh, age rating and dating. So, um, you know, what, what are websites supposed to be doing around assessing the material and, and what's, an, what's age appropriate uh, on that material? Um, communications between folks that they're like, hey, that looks like a shady interaction. 
they're now saying that websites should be uh, engaged in certain kinds of best practices around those interactions. Um, and to develop the this kind of liability, what they're doing is they're pulling together a commission of mainly law enforcement, but also uh, people who uh, uh, are in the tech tech world. Um, there's a privacy attorney, and then there's uh, victim service providers that work with young people who have been exploited. And we know the range of what that means. And so these are the folks who are coming together um, to determine what websites should be doing um, in order to in in relation to all of these different things surrounding the idea of child pornography. Okay. And so the reason why it's FOSTA SESTA 2.0 is because that's what FOSTA SESTA did. It said that we. Uh, Kind of accept that this this violence happens, the trafficking happens. We're not going to deal with it. Uh, we're not going to increase services. We're not going to prevent it. What we're going to do is expand liability for websites, and we know the outcome of that. Mm -hmm. And so, what this does is use the exact same tactics, and just applies it to a whole broad set of laws. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like in some ways you gave a very concise explanation, but also so much of the language around this bill is intentionally vague. I feel like people are still going to have a lot of questions. So can we go through um, some of the things that you said for clarification? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're totally right. This bill is really hard to talk about. It's really hard to describe. It is really hard um, to uh, kind of be able to anticipate exactly what's going to come out of it just because of how opaque and how um, vague some of the language is. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I guess like, well, my personal first question, um, which, and some of these you may not be able to answer. I'm just, you know, <laughs> kind of spitballing here. But, um, you know, my first question is, so after SESTA-FOSTA passed, obviously there was a ton of danger to sex workers, but also I kept hearing... Um, you know, various reports from law enforcement saying it was actually harder for them to find uh, people who had been exploited or people who had been trafficked because they no longer had a digital footprint to trace. So why would law enforcement back something that would exacerbate FOSTA? So I think there's kind of two parts to that question. First, when we say law enforcement, um, that covers a lot of different folks. Mm -hmm. And the people who are really upset about FOSTA-SESTA and said, like, we are having a lot of trouble because everything got pushed underground, the language had to change and become um, more opaque. We know that our ads had to, you know, shift in, yeah. in the way that things were talked about to stay up. And so it's harder to identify kind of what's going on. The people who are upset about that were investigators of trafficking. Mm -hmm. There were people that were working in this field. The people that are pushing this bill are not law enforcement that work in trafficking. So what this bill is going to do is it's really going to tell uh, private companies that they have to engage in a lot more surveillance and a lot more monitoring of what happens on their platforms okay. and look for shady shit and look for and make a lot of assumptions and probably send that to a third party. Okay. So the folks that are really pushing this are um, like the Department of Justice, the attorney general, who's really about surveillance. You know, the fact that you have private companies who are going to surveil this information, who are going to be monitoring this, means that they are deputizing these companies to do things that would be illegal if mm -hmm. if it was law enforcement doing them. And that means that they have access to all of that stuff. It means that companies are going to make decisions about saying, like, I don't want liability for this for X, Y or Z. It's better to have it not on my platform. And so that's why so many um, sex workers got kicked off is because they were like, it is a liability to have you on my platform. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get sued and maybe you're doing something that's totally fine maybe you're doing something that i can't get in trouble for but i'm not going to take that risk for you and so the law enforcement that are pushing this are not trafficking investigators they're generally like uh folks that are really about increased surveillance of everybody right right okay um, I think I think that's actually a great answer. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and so, you know, a lot of uh, talk around earn it is around like best practices, which seems incredibly vague to me in regards to surveillance. Like what does what they're incentivizing these companies to surveil people? But what does that look like in practice? So that is exactly, you know, the what I think a lot of people see is the benefit of earn it and it has been really challenging to push back on so what they're going to do is they're going to carve out this liability for these laws and um and when i say it's like a broad 
you know, it sounds like, oh, you're going to carve out liability for um, distribution of child porn. And that's really specific. But it's not just that. It's actually uh, federal law, but also every state law that is similar to that. So you can imagine, like, all of a sudden, a global internet company is now beholden to, like, Ohio's law. Right. And right. and so, you know, the most conservative states are really going to be setting liability for this. So what this commission does um, is uh, they're the ones creating the quote unquote best practices that companies are supposed to be adhering to. Mm -hmm. And what they they don't have clarity around what those best practices are. And so it's hard to go in and, and push back against a bill where they're like, well, it's just creating a commission. But you know what? If you have a commission where there's no one from sex work, there's no one from harm reduction, there's no one even from public health, there's no one from marginalized communities, and you just have a bunch of cops and some victim service providers creating best practices for websites with a huge, huge, huge mandate. Like I was saying age gating and reading, but there's all sorts of things. There's training that has to happen. There's the length of time that uh, that information has to be kept. There's the amount of information that has to be kept. Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things that, that are covered by these best practices. And so that's what makes it really, really tricky is that we kind of have to guess, but saying, you know, looking at who's on this commission, looking at the amount of things that they're going to be creating best practices on and knowing that there's literally no safeguards in the bill. Like there's not even metrics for success in this bill oh, about upholding best practices. Oh yeah, there's nothing. There's no accountability whatsoever. It's just, hey, we're going to revisit, we're going to create these best practices, mm -hmm. which are going to inform what the Department of Justice looks at. You know, if they are like, we have these best practices that, that our uh, law enforcement developed, we're going to look at the companies that are less likely to be following those. And that's going to increase um, their liability. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really inform who cops are targeting. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why, you know, we have this like really broad mandate by people who are best served by removing sex workers from the internet. We know exactly what's going to happen. Even if I can't tell you the exact rules and regulations that are come out of it, that are going to come out of it, we can make really good guesses. And we can also make guesses, not just based on like the fact that there's no one in the room who gives a shit about sex workers. We can also look at the other kind of like quote unquote red flag indicators that the government developed around trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, which conflates trafficking and sex work. Right. And so if you're already doing that literally in best practices around uh, from the Treasury Department about what finances look like, around um, hotels and surveillance of hotels and what they consider the, the red flags, mm -hmm. um, which are basically just things like, you know, there's condom, there's a lot of condoms in the room. Right. Um, someone checks in and has two cell phones. We know exactly what these are going to end up looking like. Right. Yeah, which just as a sort of side note, I really hate the um, hotel trafficking guidelines. Like, they're so fucking ridiculous. They're like, so this is just somebody, because it's so easy to report someone that you just don't like and cause um, unnecessary, like, police interference and harassment in their life with these guidelines. They're just so laughable. Um, oh my God. I know. <laughs> things like extra towels. Who has enough towels in a hotel room? Extra, well, you know extra towels is bad it means that bad things are happening <laughs> and having condoms is bad i mean why would anybody want to have safer sex why would anybody engage in safer sexual practices really it's ridiculous um <laughs> but um so going back to earn it i think a lot of people I, well i've seen a lot of people saying that basically this is an attempt to eradicate porn online um do you see that as being the intent of the bill or a sort of, um, uh, I just forgot the term now, um, an unexpected outcome. Unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think that, you know, there's, there's different people who are supporting earn it. There's definitely the people that want to increase surveillance of people using the internet. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely people who, um, don't necessarily know want to want to create avenues for websites to not put up child pornography which is you know that's a that's a really serious goal and something like the sex industry like we take that just as seriously as everyone else yeah um yeah. and there's people that want sex off the internet and yeah. they're supporting this bill as well and so 
you know, is it an unintended consequence? Is it an intended consequence? It really depends who you ask, but I think it is going to, it's going to seriously impact porn on the internet because it's going to make that even more of a liability than it already is. Mm. And you know, one thing I think that a lot of people who are working on this bill do not work anywhere near the sex industry, definitely yeah. not you know, near porn. And so like I've said to people, we're talking about all sorts of different forms of liability when we talk about sex on the internet. Mm. And they were like, I don't know what you mean. And I'm like, you're supporting this bill and you don't even understand liability on the internet. But, you know, we can point to the fact that if you're talking about Rent Boy, if you're talking about Backpage, if you're talking about uh, City X Guide, if you're talking about any website that has come down, none were charged with trafficking. Right. Not a single one. Yeah. They were all charged with promotion of prostitution, the Travel Act, which basically says that digital space makes every law federal, and money laundering. And so we're talking about when you recognize that there is sex work happening on your platform, the amount of liability that you are actually exposed to is massive. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that's uh, one of the more interesting things when it comes to those sort of websites is people really do think that like back uh, back page coming down was a good thing because it's somehow going to end trafficking. Um, but they don't know. Like, I don't know if you follow um, Oh, uh, Elizabeth Nolan Brown writes for reason. <laughs> Um, wrote like a really good article about um, Backpage and how essentially they were working with federal law enforcement when they saw ads that they thought were um, questionable or suspect and they would report it to law enforcement and be like hey, um, seems like maybe this is a trafficking case. And so it was interesting going back and reading like the um, the FOIA um, documents that had been released of uh, actual like law enforcement like you know attorneys uh, with the DOJ and whatnot saying like yeah actually Backpage was kind of awesome because they were helping us so we don't really know where this push is coming uh, to close it now yep. and so I think a lot of folks don't even know that so that's uh, and for you oh absolutely oh uh, Freedom of Information Act request that you can put in to have um, basically sealed documents released if you're approved and just something that you kind of said real fast, and uh, some folks tuned in may not be nearly as attuned to this information. Yes. Um, when you said um, the digital age makes every law federal, could we yes. expand on that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so the Travel Act is uh, something that basically, um, it's actually a, a really broad act um, that gets like no attention and no one pays attention to. It's so, um, it's so but weird how they're all so broad, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All of them. And especially like making laws about the internet when you don't use email means you're going to end up with some crazy shit. And so what the Travel Act does is, so for um, federalism means that different uh, spaces have different jurisdictions. So prostitution is a state uh, law. Um, there is no federal prostitution law. It becomes a federal crime when something crosses uh, state lines. Right. And so like, let's say, um, you know, you are running, uh, let's say you're running drugs. If you cross a state line, all of a sudden that becomes something that the, the feds have jurisdiction over as well as both of those states. The Travel Act says that anything that involves the internet can become a federal crime if they want because the internet crosses state lines. And so what they do, so what they charged like Rent Boy with was promotion of prostitution, back page, same thing. And because it was involving the internet, that de facto said that the feds could get jurisdiction through the Travel Act and they were using the state law of promotion of prostitution to, to charge them as the underlying crime. And I, I saw the eyebrow raise uh, from William over here, so I just want to, uh, yeah, um, the only federal law against prostitution is transporting people across state lines for purposes of prostitution, um, which is, I believe, called the Mann Act, which is also known as the White Slavery Act, because they got really mad. This was happened during, like, um, like, like bootlegging, like, Prohibition era, um, so, like, uh, late, uh, early to late 1930s. And so essentially they were mad that there were white uh, female sex workers who were working with black men. Of course, this is like the root of the whole concept of like pimping and all those sort of racist stereotypes. But essentially they were mad that white sex workers were working and having clients who weren't white and were going across state lines to attend parties at um, like speakeasies and things like that. And so it became known as the White Slavery Act because anytime white womanhood is threatened, it's a very serious issue for the society that we live in. So uh, that's how that actually got created. And that is the only federal um, 
prostitution related thing uh, that's on the books. Everything else is a state or local level. Like that's the only federal one. All right. Yep. This is a swap cast. Um, <laughs> For SWAP, SWOP, Sex Workers Outreach Project. This is Phoenix Kalita and Kate Diadamo. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, we're just, I, I gotta keep people informed. I think there's just like so much going on elsewhere in the world that people don't really know a lot when it comes to, um, you know, sex work laws and sex work policy that they really just don't get it. And I, I think that like a big problem I keep seeing is people saying things, and especially now with the, um, oh God, the, um, the trafficking hub shit that's going on, uh, which is a whole thing. But I keep uh, seeing people who mean well, but know nothing about the sex work industry at all. And, you know, like they've seen like that Jane Doe documentary and now they think like they're a fucking expert or whatever. And um, it, it's, you know, when a bill is coming up that says, oh, this is going to help prevent sex trafficking mm-hmm. or child trafficking or child sex trafficking, nobody wants to be the person in the room who says no to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think like that's... Um, really just something that we should talk about because there's just really no nuance you know what i mean and so it's like oh oh, you don't oh you support child sex slaves and it's like no i just really don't like this bill because it's badly written and it's just going to erode civil liberties and it's not actually going to help anybody who's ever um you know uh, been trafficked like i i actually want to help like for real for real (laughs) this bill isn't that and you know yeah and i think that that is something that is so 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 important and that's actually the thing that like pisses me off the most about this bill is that it is premised on the idea that it's going to do something or anything about child pornography and about like pornographic material that comes out of situations of child abuse Mm -hmm. and the thing is we actually know what would stop a ton of child abuse Mm -hmm. we have prevention programs in this country we have federally funded prevention programs in this country and they are so deeply underfunded there's literally bills sitting in congress right now asking to increase funding for prevention of child abuse and they are hanging out they are languishing they are not getting refunded they are definitely not getting increases in funding and we know that and they keep being like oh the pandemic is going to increase child abuse and and child trafficking because everyone's on the internet now no that's not what increases child abuse and are you saying that sex trafficking doesn't increase every time there's a super bowl kate (laughs) i mean Except for the Super Bowl story that, you know, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but 40,000 sex workers descend on the 40, Super Bowl 000. every year. Because it's so easy to get a hotel room when the Super Bowl is happening. It anyway. is easy to get a hotel room when the Super Bowl's in town. What are you talking about? And, you know, I'll say <laughs> that um, as a broadcaster myself, that's one of the only times I deleted one of my over a thousand episodes. Because before I met Phoenix Kaliter, I fell for that. And I did mm-hmm. an episode uh, pushing that bullshit propaganda. And then I met Phoenix Kalita like weeks after and learned and deleted it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, again, I think like, honestly, we should talk about that more is that's a trap that like really well-intentioned again, what do they say? Right. The road to hell is paved with good intentions because well-intentioned yeah. people think like, you know, it's coming from like, um, you know, like legitimate news sources, like, but it was on MSNBC or, but it was on CNN or, you know, this report. And so people really do believe it. And nobody wants to see anybody being a victim of, Uh, you know, sexual abuse or trafficking, right? So people really do uh, sort of just jump on the bandwagon, as it were, with that and just be like, well, this is terrible. We have to do something. But these solutions are not, these aren't real solutions that are being brought to us. And, And, you know, the way that we understand the problem is the way that we frame the solution. And I think that that's why these stories are so important to get right. Because if we understood that, you know, if we're like, let's actually break this down. If you're talking about child abuse, validated reports of child abuse in America, A, that is a really complicated, really racist, really classist system that really has disproportionately impacted communities of color and destroyed families of color, first off. But if we're gonna actually talk about those numbers, 70% of those are what we call negligence. Those are generally poverty related uh, assumptions about child abuse. They say you're negligent because, you know, your seven-year-old is home while you were at work, like that kind of stuff. After that, it's physical violence. After that, it's sexual violence. 40% of sexual violence committed against young people is by peers. That means other kids who are being harmed, who are experiencing abuse, who are maladapting to their circumstances. And so what we're talking about is 60% of 7% of the, of the reported cases that are adult perpetrated. And we know that even then, 
the rates go up during economic instability, during social instability, which means, yeah, during a pandemic, family violence increases because familial instability is what creates the conditions of violence. And so if we actually gave a shit about child abuse, if we really, really, really fucking cared, then we should have an economic stimulus package three months ago. Then everyone should have access to all the food they need. We should not be dealing with housing instability. If we actually cared about child abuse, we know exactly how to fix it. It's just that this is cheaper and easier. Oh, absolutely. You just have to keep talking for a couple more seconds because I'm tweeting what you said because I thought that was like super <laughs> awesome that you said what the way we see the problem explains how we create the solutions. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I really yeah. like that. And I'm actually tweeting that right now. So, yeah. Yeah. If we want to talk about child, if we want to talk about child familial violence, then we got to care about families. If we actually cared about child trafficking, we would care about labor because, yeah, trafficking of minors is going to go up under the pandemic because that's what happens during economic instability is that kids have to go to work, too. And so that's the thing that pisses me off the most, honestly, about so much of this trafficking shit is like you're passing bills assuming and being complicit in this violence because you are not preventing it when you can absolutely no i completely agree with that and i think that's a very um on point assessment of it and i you know also do think that that you know goes back to i know you organized the um sex worker lobby day in dc and it was you know i was fortunate enough to be able to attend that and You know, we got to speak with lobbyists and like the wildest thing when we were talking to staffers was nobody had talked to a sex worker. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the more and more people we talked to. It's like, okay, so you passed SESTA-FOSTA. It's about sex work. How many sex workers were in the room when you created this policy? How many people who have um, been trafficked were in the room when you created this policy? And the answer was like none. And it's like, why would you think that you could create a policy that directly impacts people's lives but it would be the best thing for them when you didn't you've never lived it and you included not a single solitary motherfucker who went through this shit why would you mm-hmm. think that you you know and i mean i know social hierarchies and capitalism and white supremacy and the fucking arrogance of once you're in office you just yeah i know everything that's how i got here i'm better than you shit but like honestly that really does need to be um part of the conversation is how can you pass legislation about people um or for people or against people when you've never lived in that situation and you didn't even talk to anybody who has been like how can you possibly be the authority come on now come on oh absolutely and you know i think this is and this is my plug Um, This is why it's so important to actually reach out to staffers and to representatives offices because they do represent you. And the thing is, like most staffers, like I will never forget. I sat down with a staffer. We had a really amazing conversation. I was like, hey, just out of curiosity, what meeting did you just come from? And she was like, it was on NASA. And I was like, oh, weird. What meeting are you going to? She was like, I think it's about roads. And like these staffers have back-to-back meetings every single day and there are people going in there and saying we speak for sex workers we speak for all victims of trafficking we speak for all victims of violence they are showing up they are having those conversations they are having those conversations about you and they're saying of course we talk to victims of course we talk to all the victims and all the victims said the same thing and so reaching out to your representative's office is incredibly important because they generally will listen they just don't know they're missing something yeah and if you know they're missing something very often they don't know who to look to and who to listen to and so um last week uh i i have the honor and privilege of um organizing with hacking hustling as well mm-hmm. um which is a, a group that works at the intersection of tech and sex work that uh popped up um, after Survivors Against SESTA, um, which I I was also uh, a part of. And so last, and so uh, we work on a lot of different issues really around tech and digital space and and sex worker rights and safety. And last week we launched a a website called surviveearnit.org. Yes. And if you go to that website, it'll talk a lot about the bill. It really breaks down the bill, um, literally goes through, we have something called a section by section, which is exactly what it is, but it also has, a step-by-step guide for how to reach out to your uh, 
uh, senator or representative's office, including literally like how to track down the staffer, who to ask yes. for when you call for a meeting. And it has a link to uh, a suggested agenda outline for when you have that meeting. And so if you do want to talk to someone, like staffers also are going to be pretty nice to you. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a step-by-step -step guide uh, for anyone who wants to do that. Absolutely. And uh, that's a great resource. We're definitely going to link it with this episode. Um, also, we should probably put that on social dissonance. Um, but also, um, can you go into a little bit more detail about talking to staffers? Um, I <laughs> The event that shall not be named, but I know which one you mean that I attended was a, a sex worker event where you were speaking um, and didn't get to finish. But um the, uh, the, the, the presentation was about um, how to talk to lawmakers, how to talk to policymakers, and it was about how to identify who to talk to and how to um, essentially frame your story that you were bringing. Is that something you can elaborate on? Like, I don't know if you know what I'm referencing, but. Yeah. Um, so your representatives represent you. Um, and so you automatically have two senators and one house rep. Um, that are going to take your call, are going to listen to you because they're you're you're the voter that they're trying to win over. They literally their whole job is representing you, and so um, you can Google, you know, who's my rep, and that's the person to reach out to. When you uh, you can call their office, act for the scheduler, and the scheduler will give you a meeting, and that means that you're going to be sitting down with a staffer. You're not going to be sitting down like with your senator or with your rep, but honestly, sitting down with a staffer is way more important. They're the ones who reps go to. And so you get to have a, a now everything's on Zoom. Um, and you get to, you know, sit down and have a face-to-face -face conversation with that person. And what you're going to go in and do is, you know, tell them why you're there and who you are. Um, and uh, tell them what your concerns are. And, and you are swap. Um, and you're going to tell them what your concerns about this bill are. Um, we have a lot of resources to kind of better understand that. Um, and you're going to tell them why it's important to you and how it's going to affect your life and, and, and what you want them to know about this. Um, the most important thing that I think people very often forget is ask, make a really clear, direct ask for something they can do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it would be great to go into every senator's office and be like, repeal prostitution laws. They don't have the power to do that. And so it's going to be going in and knowing where the bill is, knowing what that person cares about as well. So if I'm meeting with a representative who is on the LGBT uh, Equality Caucus, who speaks a lot about LGBTQ issues, then guess what? Sex worker rights is an LGBTQ issue. It disproportionately impacts people in the queer community, young people, adults, um, people who exist at the margins because queer people are regularly pushed out of uh, formal jobs or resources. That's great. If I am sitting down with someone like Ayanna Presley, who has a demonstrated history of anti-policing work, then you know what? Sex worker safety is an anti-policing issue. Uh, the ways that sex workers uh, interact with law enforcement leads to state violence. The ways that sex workers avoid law enforcement leads to client violence. And so I get to talk about that as an issue that my representative cares about. Yes. And then, yeah. and uh, and so at the end of that meeting, then saying, knowing where the bill is. So right now, Earn It is introduced in the Senate. It is not yet introduced into the House. They are shopping it around, which means they are looking to build support in the House mm -hmm. for it. Um, because it has been introduced in the Senate, you're going to say, I want you to um, vote no and voice your opposition to the Earn It Act of 2020, Senate Bill 3398. When you talk to your House representative, if you have a bill that's been introduced into the House, you're going to name that bill. Um, but what you're going to say is, even if it's going to be introduced, they are looking for support right now. I want you to know the problems with this bill, and I want you to know how it's going to affect me. Um, and also making it really clear that like, you know, sex work, it looks different in every single state, mm -hmm. in every single zip code. It's going to affect different people in different ways. If you're from somewhere rural, you know, having access to the, to the internet because y'all don't have the same resources as in an urban area. Right. And so talking about how it really specifically impacts your location how you've been doing outreach in Chicago for X many years, and this is how I know this, because after Foster Sesto, we saw three times as many people who were uh, engaged, who who were out there when we were engaging in outreach. Being able to really tie it to 
the place where you are from mm -hmm. not only means like this is why your rep should care about it it also is going to really highlight the fact that they're not going to have this conversation with anyone else you are the only people who are able to have this who are able to know this information and know how intimately this is going to affect you and that is really 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 fucking special mm -hmm. and it shows them why it is so important to build that relationship with you yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And I guess I would just add my little um, like caveat, I guess, onto that is that um, what you explained about if somebody talks about LGBTQ rights and you're like, this is a queer issue, if yeah, you're not actually lying because these things are true. Sex workers who are penalized by these policies are predominantly um, not wealthy, not white. A lot of the sex workers are um, not cis. A lot of them are not hetero. So, you know, I think like people... Um, sometimes feel a little bit awkward about sharing their experience or sharing their stories or they'll feel like um, they'll be seen as over-exaggerating, but these things are all absolutely true. There is not... Uh, sex workers are oftentimes marginalized in multiple ways, you know, and I think, like, that needs to be part of that conversation because it's not just... Uh, hurting people on the sex worker front because they're sex workers it's also hurting somebody who's already you know maybe like disabled somebody who's not white somebody who is in poverty somebody who um has an issue with addiction somebody who isn't housed properly you know all those things and it starts to add on and add on and add on and when you get that many layers of this add-on it's just harder and harder to get out and that makes mm -hmm. you more and more susceptible to police violence and more and more susceptible to, um, you know, this like cyclical uh, type of situation where, you know, it, it goes on for generations. And so, you know, I just want to reaffirm that for folks who are like, yeah, but, you know, no, seriously, you are allowed to talk about these things. You have the right to talk about these things and you should talk about these things, you know, and I know a lot of people are like above the whole like oh i'm not gonna vote or you know lawmakers don't change anything this is a relatively easy ask and if it does have um potential to change it i think that folks should try you know because this is a relatively easy ask when it comes to direct action you know it's much easier to talk, to do this than it is to um you know uh start a revolution like in the streets revolution you know and so i i just want folks to um it's fine that folks are cynical about um, the current state of our government, but also like there are still harm reduction steps that we can take and don't dismiss those, you know? Does that make sense? Oh, I absolutely, yeah. And I, I totally get that cynicism. Um, you know, getting the energy to get excited about Joe Biden is work. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And especially, you know, no, knowing Kamala Harris is on the ticket, I, I think that should make us, you know, I I probably have more hope than I ever should. And I have to be perfectly honest, the more policy work that I do, the more hopeful that I get. And it's because I meet more and more people who are like, I've not heard this message. I'm not hearing it from anyone else. Please yeah. don't write me off. Please keep having these conversations. Please stop. Please keep having these meetings. Mm -hmm. And so looking at someone like Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, you know, we're not you're not voting for your comrade. Your representative is never going to be your comrade. Your representative, you're voting for the person that you want to fight against. And I'd much rather fight against Kamala Harris than Mike Pence. And so, and that is true across the board. So I totally get the cynicism and and I, I totally hear you. I also think that Earn It has so many damaging consequences that there's not a representative or a senator out there that doesn't care about something that you could sell them this on. Right. One of the strong, when it was, so it was in, when a bill gets introduced in the Senate or into the House, it gets assigned to a committee of jurisdiction. That means that uh, committees are topical. And so this went into the judiciary because it had to do with crime. And, you know, when uh, when and it went up for debate and conversation and, you know, actually who came out the strongest against it was a very, very, very conservative senator from Utah who's anti-gay. OK. And okay. he came out with a lot of different reasons. Mm hmm. About, you know, I think he has a lot more concern about the idea that, like, conservatives and hate mongers might get kicked off Twitter and so doesn't want to give yeah. Twitter more power. Yeah. And you know what? If that gets a no vote, I do not care. Right. If that is what works, then that is what works. And so at the end of the day, do we think that this is going to really harm marginalized people? Yeah. 
do and that might not work for him do we think it is going to deputize private companies to act like police and give them more power more oversight while there is less transparency absolutely mm -hmm. and it is not a lie if i go to his office and i say that mm -hmm. and just because we have different perspectives on a lot of different things there's still something to hate about this bill together yes yes uh, i think william had a no not oh, okay um, yeah, but yeah, I, I know I completely agree with that perspective and, you know, I mean, I have my own theories, which I'm not going to get into right now about what I would like to see happen. But, um, as for now, this is the system that we have. And so, you know, I think it's at least worth it to try to reach out to, um, lawmakers and policymakers and be like, Hey, have you considered, but have you talked to, okay, I am from that demographic. Let me talk to you and explain why this is bad. And, you know, that's actually interesting because um, outside of the sex work community, the people I see talking the most about this bill are like conservative libertarians, which, you know, like makes sense in a way, obviously, because they're like, you know, fuck the state and like that's their whole thing. But, um, you know, it is because it's um, going to fuck with encryption. It's going to fuck with, um, you know, like a sort of like essentially freedom of speech and those sort of things. And, you know, that's not what sold me on hating earn it just because of the communities I come from and that type of activism that I do. But you know what? I think that is also a very valid complaint. And, you know, something that I say routinely is that sex workers are the canary in the coal mine, um, which I know, I don't, I don't think, I think you don't like that saying, but <laughs> that's how I see it. Um, and essentially that um, things that are often meant to either um, protect sex workers or reduce harm among trafficking fo uh, trafficked folks is really, um, at the end of the day, just a way to further erode civil liberties. And I think that's also a very important thing to talk about. But, you know, that's me. I have a bias. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, all that we're doing by framing this argument, you know, we're not lying. We're not being disingenuous. Yeah. All we're doing is we're meeting the person where they are. And we would do that with a client. If a client reaches out to you and really, really, really wants a dom, you would not go in and sell yourself as GFE. You meet that person where they are. You figure out what they want. You figure out what works for them. Yes. And then you shape your services. You shape your information in the way that works for them. And it's not a lie. Right. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So much. Um, oh. Oh, I'm being told to speak up. All right. I got a little too quiet there. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess I just need to be closer to the microphone. Anyways, yeah, sorry. This is what it's like to record live and do the, like, the uh, on-demand engineering, basically. Um, but um, I mentioned encryption a minute ago. Can you elaborate? Um, I was fortunate enough to be in a meeting with uh, some folks from Hacking Hustling and um, other sex work orgs about uh, the encryption clause, I guess, in Earn It. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so, you know, part of where this started was the, the tech companies were like, this is going to outright ban encryption. And that was kind of the rallying cry for a, a lot of folks. Um, and so uh, Vermont Senator uh, Leahy introduced an amendment that said that they can't explicitly ban encryption. And the thing is that that does not go far enough. Um, just because you can't explicitly ban something doesn't mean that the best practices they're going to recommend are going to be so stringent that uh, encryption is either impossible or just not very likely. If right. they uh, come out something and say like, well, we didn't ban encryption, but you are now liable for every single message that happens across your platform and you have to review all of them. Yeah. That de facto yeah. bans encryption. Yeah. And so just because you're not naming it doesn't mean you can't just describe it. Yeah. And I think that that's um, super interesting because like if this were to pass um, as is, this might be the end of, um, like private things like uh i just uh like signal and things like that right so like private like text messaging apps and those sort of things like those would be in danger yes yeah absolutely that's wild to me like i don't and so then basically everyone would be forced onto major social media platforms if i'm understanding this correctly so like it would then be facebook for example like reading your messages like your uh you know your dms and shit is that how is that like am i understanding that correctly yeah, that's absolutely possible as to what is going to come out of this. And and let's also remind ourselves that, like, when we talk about liability, what we're talking about is um, safety in certain ways. So, like, mm -hmm. if you are liable, you're going to be overly broad. It makes more sense to uh, um, kick off more people if you are looking for, like... Uh, 
the needle in the haystack. It makes sense to just get rid of the haystack because there's something in there that might cause you a problem and you just don't want to deal with it. It's just easier not to. And so sex workers got kicked off because they were like, I don't know, maybe people might be trafficked, but like we can't tell because you generally can't tell. Right. And so what we're going to do is be broader and kick off more people because we're afraid of that specific liability and we just don't want to take the risk. It's why you it's why you screen every client and not just the dangerous one. Yeah. Because you can't figure out who the dangerous one is. So you screen everybody and you just are more careful than you have to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also, um, you know, because I'm sure there's, well, I'm not sure, but there might be someone listening who's like, but I don't do sex work. This doesn't apply to me. Um, if you engage in any type of activism, this very well may apply to you. Um, if you were going to organize, uh, and you know, I'm just saying this because I'm relatively lefty in my leanings, you know. If you were to organize anything for Black Lives Matter or anything, um, you know, where Antifa might show up or street medic training to help people who have been, you know, shot with tear gas canisters by police. Do you want Facebook to know? Like, Do you want to have that conversation about where to meet up and how to help people over Facebook or Twitter? Like, do you, mm-hmm. you know, and I just feel like that's like part of the conversation because I feel like a lot of folks are like, but this doesn't apply to me. And it's like, but it does actually ultimately at the end of the and, day yeah absolutely so like yes we both focus on the health and safety of sex workers but if you step back and think about okay this is about um child sexual exploitation this is about child pornography and but it also involves things like communication that might lead up to a trafficking situation mm-hmm. it might and and being really broad about what that could look like um that's gonna really impact things like sex education That's going to create a lot more liability around trying to have intergenerational conversations. You, I mean, a lot of us remember what it was like being young and queer and trying to find affirming information about sex and the ways that we had to find any information Mm -hmm. about what it meant to be a sexual being and a queer person. Think about, you know, the people that we had to talk to. Think about the ways that, what it meant to talk to an older queer person. Like all of those things are in jeopardy under this because anything, and and especially targeted, is going to be anything around sex Mm -hmm. and youth and definitely commerce. And like those three overlapping spheres. And so if you're talking about a harm reduction information, yes. If you're talking about sex education, yes. If you're talking about young queer people who are just trying to get like basic info about our lives and our bodies, Mm -hmm. yes. All of that is going to be disproportionately impacted by this bill because all of that is going to be under this like broad umbrella of what might be liability. Yeah. And I think that um, part of that conversation, too, should be around, um, like, because, you know, they always talk about having, like, a committee or a council or whatever to determine um, how these policies are going to be implemented. That's done by people who are in positions of power, and it's mostly, like, old white conservative men in positions of power. So, you know, if there's a committee that decides what is or isn't acceptable, I mean, look at how they respond to, um, I don't remember that child's name, but they're, like, 10 or something, and they're, like, uh, they do drag, right? And they're like, oh, the, the the queers want trans people to have trans, uh, you know, like trans surgery at age five. And it's like, what are you talking about? No, what? What are you talking about? You know, mm-hmm. but there's that like Fox News, like Alex Jones, you know, fucking mm-hmm. Ben Shapiro shit. And it's like, if those are the people who are relatively in positions of power, um, you know, who are in, you know, in Congress. And so it's like, do you honestly trust them? to make the right decision about, you know, for example, um, you know, people talking, having frank conversations about periods or um, consent or comprehensive sex education. And, you know, I, I, yeah, there's so, so many, uh, so, so many things that just um, people don't necessarily like consider, you know, Mm because, you know, I keep trying to find ways to bridge with other communities. That's just something I've been super obsessed with lately. And part, and you know, this is partly the reason why is because people like, but this is a sex worker thing. And it's like, but sex workers um, are multifaceted people. Like sex workers are people, you know? And -hmm. so there are sex workers who are going to be tied to fights for racial justice or uh, disability justice, or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, People who are queer and all those sort of things. And so it's really difficult to hear that like, oh, this is just a sex worker problem. And it's like, do you really not see how this is going to spill into other communities and hurt people? Like, really? That's what we're oh, doing absolutely. right now? Yeah. And, and I will say, um, you know, 
before FOSTA SESTA, we had a very short timeline and there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. um, but we've been able to work with actually a, a really broad, incredible coalition of different organizations that have come out that are talking about this, including like the ACLU, including sex health, uh, sexual health groups, um, including a lot of different organizations that are like, no, this impacts me too. And I'm not gonna say that uh, to erase the impact on sex workers. Mm -hmm. This is definitely, a, uh, a lot of organizations are, are realizing, you know, sex workers are people that we care about and that we wanna be in coalition with. And and when we talk about, you know, this is a sex worker issue, that means it is a parent issue. Yes. That means that it is a disability justice issue, you nailed it. That means it's an economic justice issue, it's a worker issue. When we're talking about sex workers, we're talking about pillars of marginalized communities who are probably keeping a lot of people safe and healthy and housed. Absolutely. Especially in these times with Corona. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And so I just, yeah, I just, I just find that argument to be just so like, I don't know, just like so over the top. Like, are you, are you fucking serious right now? Like, what the fuck do you mean? This doesn't affect you, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, because it does. It really does. It's going to, you know, I mean, the only thing that doesn't trickle down is, you know, state sanctioned violence. And this will create states, uh, state sanctioned violence. So, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Ash, yeah. So when someone is like uh, what, what you just said, you got to respond. Uh, oh, cool. I love stupid bullshit like this. <laughs> that is indeed how that is pretty much my response. And honestly, that you know, is one of the wildest things to me is people really do think like, oh, well, it's sex workers things, you know, like it doesn't um, impact me. And it's like, are you not also? And because, you know, speaking from my own perspective, I see this uh, argument a lot in black circles with black folks who are conservative. And I don't mean conservative um, speaking like electoral politics. I mean, conservative ideology, regardless of how they vote, you know, and it's like, we're like, because they yeah. like sex workers are bad people and, you know, whatever, gays are bad people, like that sort of mentality. And it's like, are you not also at risk of state-sanctioned police violence? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, are you not also at risk of being, like, over-surveilled? How the mm -hmm. fuck does a pro-surveillance bill not impact you? Like, what are you talking about? But Yeah, because, you know. like, because I hear that all the time of people being like, well, you know, I'm not doing anything elite. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Facebook, they're giving... Facebook the power to decide what to do with that information. Yes. And so, yeah, this says like surveil this and look for X, Y, or Z and then send the, and then send information off to this organization and we'll investigate. Yeah. But you're still saying Facebook, right. Surveil right. people, right. monitor this information. We, um, we are giving you policing power. Which also, I'm sorry, I have to go off on, like, my civil liberties tangent. I do those. Um, like, I still can't get over Facebook a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember this. They were intentionally fucking with people's news feeds to make them, like, distressed. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Right. And so it's like, so a company that has no qualms about intentionally trying to trigger you to make you stay on the website. Like, and folks may think I'm joking. You can Google it. You can search it. I can provide links if need be. But, no, they really did a study of Facebook users without consent, without consent, I think that's a big part of it. And they would literally put like bad shit in people's news feeds to make them feel bad to see if it would make them stay on the website longer or click more things. And that was how they like did their algorithm. And it's like a company that is intentionally trying to trigger people just to make you stay on the site to click a couple things will over surveil the fuck out of you and not care about the results at all in any type of way. And then couple with that, the way that so many, um, trafficking signs quote unquote are just fucking like goofy ass shit like is it an interracial couple is the is the is it do they look hetero is the man black it might be trafficking like yeah this impacts you too right or does this person uh have they gone from appearing to dress conservatively to showing cleavage in a picture they might be trafficked like this impacts you do you like to take selfies it impacts you you know and so i just i cannot stress enough um, when it comes to this, that so many of these things are going to merge together to just sort of create this perfect storm, right? So the already the lack of scruples of Facebook, in addition to these like weird, goofy, vague ass, this is what trafficking looks like, um, sort of pearl clutching ideas, you know, in addition to, uh, yeah, we're going to help police. So we should over surveil the fuck out of everybody. It's just, it's going to converge together. And I just really can't get enough folks to grasp that. I feel like, you know what I mean? 
Sorry, I got a little ranty there, but I just it's just so frustrating to me and I just don't know how to make it more clear to folks, honestly. I love that you think we don't listen for your rants. <laughs> I am a ranter. That is what I do. That's part of my job description, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know. <laughs> we all have to know what we're good at, I guess. You you you, you can see the way through by lighting your ranter. Really? <laughs> Really? <laughs> Don't encourage the dad jokes. What? Uh, I think my favorite one was, uh, it wasn't even a joke, but it was just uh, the bridges I burn light my way. So, you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you burn those bridges so that uh, oppressive people can't get near you anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm building a moat, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm using my social media to build a moat. Um, oh, yeah. Well, when my comrades are allowed. But yeah, no, I really just do wish that there was more um, solidarity with sex workers' rights in general because so many people are like, oh, it's like its own thing. It's not a labor issue. It's not a disability issue. It's not a, you know, whatever. And it's like, but it is all those things, though. It really mm-hmm. is. And I just, I don't know. I don't know how to fix the messaging to uh, get there. But I wish we could because it is going to come back to, and again, that's why I say canary in the coal mine, um, personally, which. I don't use that language myself. Really? Oh, you got jokes. Okay, you got jokes. Um, which, for folks who don't know the concept of the canary in the coal mine, it was uh, something that like actual coal miners used to do. They would take a bird, put it in a bird cage, and put it uh, in the mine with them while they were working. And, of course, because you can't see gas, right? And so the idea was that um, if there was some sort of toxic gas that you couldn't see, that the canary would die because it, you know, smaller lungs, smaller capacity. And so if the canary would die, you knew you were in an unsafe situation. And I really do feel like that's the sort of cannon fodder that sex workers' rights um, gets. And, you know, like that's where sex workers' rights is in a lot of ways. Is that it's like, we really want to erode civil rights, but like let's use sex workers to talk, talk about sex trafficking as a way to make it more, um, you know, acceptable to society. And then the fallout happens. Well, we had to use canaries because you progressives took away our child labor. We could have sent in some kids. Oh, they still sent in kids. No, don't worry. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> like, I know. But yeah, like, I, I just, I really feel like that is um, an accurate depiction because every time, you know, these policies pass, sex workers die and everyone else eventually suffers. And it's like, you could have just listened to the sex workers in the first place, maybe. We could have avoided this, but, but no, but no. Yeah. Is that it? You're at uh, about 56 minutes. I think yeah. you, you did the job. Yeah. I was going to say, it's about an hour. Do you have any questions? Uh, I do not. Okay. Cause I don't like William likes to pop up with the questions to be like, as somebody who's not, you know, involved with this, you know? No, this individual, um, Kate Diadamo, articulated everything incredibly well. Uh, you did the same. Uh, Kate Diadamo has a pretty pretty strong voice. Uh, you got to come back on the program. Outstanding yes. speaking voice. Very good. Kate should also come on the regular podcast so we can just, like, talk shit. Yeah, legitimate shit on a, a privately owned uh, outlet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Kate, um, for coming on with us. Would you like to tell folks where they can get in touch with you? Um, yeah. Uh, if you want to find out more about Earn It, um, go to SurviveEarnIt.org. There's a contact page, and that goes to Hacking Hustling. Um, just if you want kind of more information and definitely support. If you're like, I really want to work on X, Y, or Z. I want to write a, an op-ed for my local newspaper. I want to... Um, practice with someone or, or run through my pitch about earn it totally feel free to reach out um and that goes to hacking hustling and the whole kind of crew of us um if y'all want to get in touch with me directly um shoot me a dm on twitter i'm pretty i i try to be super accessible um and uh yeah i love organizers i came up through swap and um you know getting to uh connect more with organizers um you know, it takes me back to my heart and my roots. And so please feel free to get in touch with me. Um, that's probably the best and fastest way to do it. Yes. Thank you so much, Kate. We love you. Thank you so much for coming on and for the work that you do. You are fucking amazing. You're a fucking rock star. Oh, love you guys. Thank you so much for, for the chance to have this conversation and cheers and solidarity to the incredible, incredible work that you are doing. Thank you.
how the story goes, partner. One, two, three, they gonna run back to me. Cause I'm the best baby that they never gotta see. One, two, three, they gonna run back to me. They always wanna come, but they never wanna leave. Yeah, when we were figuring out Swapcast, just that came on the radio in the car one day, and we just looked at each other. We knew we were like, "That's <laughs> the fucking theme song." We it's like, such a good song. It is. Yeah. someday we're gonna have to pay her like reparations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some rhetorically like it's just vague enough that it yes. really fits the program. Oh fuck yeah! And a great guitar riff. Yeah. All right, that's uh, breaking the fourth wall for you right there. I am ending the podcast recording.